This episode of Historium is brought to you by the Wisdom app. I have been invited by the Wisdom team to host a talk on their app on January 2nd, the day after New Year's Day. I'm going to be doing a bit of a Historium Live, uh, telling a bonus episode that I had originally scheduled for Halloween this year, uh, and then take some questions from some patrons and anyone currently listening on the app at the time of the live stream. Again, the app is Wisdom. You can find it on any app store out there. I'll be doing the live stream at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, and I will have updates on all of my social media. My username is at Historium, so once you download the app, you can follow me to get notified when I go live. I hope you tune in to the Wisdom app. For Christmas this year, I decided to redo one of my favorites. This episode was originally released on December 14th, 2016, over five years ago. In those past five years, I have gotten a lot better audio equipment, and from reading the script, I believe I've become a much much better writer. So this episode has been rewritten, re-recorded, remixed, and I hope you like it. Here is the story of the Christmas truce. In 1914, the great bestial war machines of the European powers sprung to life, then lurched into each other, sending countless boys into a meat grinder of human carnage so devastating that an entire generation would be permanently traumatized. They called it the Great War. Both sides dug in until the opposing trenches, oftentimes no more than 100 feet apart, stretched over 450 miles from the North Sea to the Swiss Alps. The soldiers' reality was a sea of mud and blood and rats and rifles and mortar rounds and bodies. The higher-ups had promised that they would be home by Christmas. They lied. They would be spending the holidays in the frozen hell of the trenches, but it turns out Christmas would serve as a brief crack of light between two vast swaths of darkness. I'm Jake Barton. Welcome to Historium. This is a retelling of Episode 7, The Christmas Truce. A young British soldier, just 19 years old, did the best he could to dig through the nearly frozen mud that had collapsed into his part of the trench. His name was Henry Williamson. 120 pounds soaking wet, Henry was far from a model soldier. He was more of the cultured type, preferring poetry books over football matches. He joined the army to appease his father, who had served in the London Rifle Brigade. Henry's true love was the natural sciences. He would spend his days wandering the countryside, documenting plants and sketching in his journal, near his rural home on the outskirts of London. He had thought perhaps his time in Belgium could provide an opportunity to study some continental European plants, but several metric tons of German explosives had eviscerated the local flora. All that remained was the alien craterscape of no man's land, now frozen by the winter cold. Henry deemed the task of digging through the frozen mud to be futile, so he tossed the shovel and sat down to write a letter to his mother, tell her what Christmas in the trenches was really like. As pen hit paper, Henry flinched from the sudden rumble of mortar fire from the trenches to the south. Henry and his fellow riflemen grabbed their weapons and leaned against the cold dirt wall of the trench. For someone who grew up playing with toy knights and hearing the stories of heroic cavalry charges in far-off lands, the fighting was beyond undignified. It was pointless. Every day, he and his fellow soldiers would stare out into no man's land, 
and see the bloated corpses that they were unable to recover from the last failed attack. To them, looking into the eyes of those corpses was looking into their own future. While they may not get to go home for Christmas, the British brass had promised them they'd spend the holidays in a Belgian beer hall, another broken promise to add to the pile. Merry Christmas. Just a few hundred feet away from the British lines, Kurt Zemensch of the 134th Saxons Infantry Regiment was watching the chaplain speak over a mass grave of his comrades. Kurt was a lanky, blonde, first-year school teacher, an excellent soccer player. He joined the army when the rest of his town's team did. Here, in a muddy trench that smelled of rats and urine, he missed the green grass and open field of a soccer pitch more than anything. He sat on an ammunition box and pulled out some parchment to write a letter to his girlfriend back in Hagen. He heard mortars firing from the trenches to the south. The fighting in the week before Christmas was tiring and pointless. The two trenches exchanged fits of machine gun fire coupled with small volleys of mortars. The weather seemed to sum up their mood. Both sides hadn't seen the sun in weeks. It was now Christmas Eve. Christmas had been deemed so important to German morale that every single unit in the German military apparatus was sent a Christmas tree. Even the U-boats each got one. Kurt helped set up their tree and balance the candles on the edge of the trench. Back behind the British trench line, officers yelled out names to come up and receive their care packages from loved ones back home. Williamson, an officer shouted, and Henry went to go collect his package. Inside were several notes from his extended family members and a pair of colorful drawings from his young cousins. In the bottom of the parcel was a book by Edgar Rice Burroughs titled The Gods of Mars and a massive silver-clad chocolate bar. Science fiction and sweets, Henry couldn't think of two better things existing in all of Europe. The soldiers exchanged gifts and goodies as the sun began to set behind the cover of the clouds. In the German trenches, the officers addressed a gathering of their troops. Kurt stood against the trench towards the back, fearing the worst. His fear turned to glee when the officers instead announced a triple liquor rationing for Christmas tomorrow. His comrades cheered. That night, Kurt and his comrades decorated the trees by candlelight while singing traditional Christmas hymns. Henry Williamson heard the singing throughout the night. The words were in German, but the songs were unmistakable to the men in the English trench. Joy to the world, the first Noel. He and his fellow soldiers, usually wary of sharpshooters, spent most of the night peeking over the trench listening, and eventually they began singing Christmas carols of their own. By Christmas morning, both sides took turns singing songs and applauding the other side's renditions of Christmas classics. As the old hymns floated back and forth over no man's land, Kurt realized that no shot had been fired for quite some time. Something stirred in Kurt's chest, an indescribable solidarity that drew him up the ladder and into no man's land. Other German soldiers peeked their heads over the trench and questioned what Kurt was doing, telling him he was suicidal. Kurt ignored them as he stepped over the barbed wire. The English Christmas carol ceased immediately as Kurt felt several dozen rifles aimed at him. Kurt suddenly regretted his decision. Perhaps it was the triple ration of booze that had led him up here. But he pushed through. He waved his helmet in the air and stepped closer to the opposing trench. With every ounce of courage he could muster, he yelled, We are Saxons. You are Anglo-Saxons. What is there for us to fight about today? 
Henry Williamson aimed his rifle at this German madman, but then questioned what he was doing. It was Christmas. He laid his rifle down and encouraged the British soldiers around him to do the same. Henry climbed out of the trench and into no man's land. He ushered his comrades to follow. More and more soldiers emerged from the opposing trenches. The onlookers held their collective breath as two sides timidly approached each other in the crisp winter air. Kurt and Henry met in the middle and shook hands. Other soldiers did the same. The fear of being mown down by machine gun fire at any moment slowly dissipated. Soon men from both sides poured out of their trenches and into no man's land, defying its very name. The soldiers knew immediately that they were witnessing a Christmas miracle. No formal agreements were struck, no treaties signed, but everyone knew there would be no fighting today. Soldiers who spoke a little of the other side's language were put to plenty of use. The two sides traded liquor, chocolate, cigarettes, souvenirs, and other trinkets. Officers struck deals to exchange prisoners. An Englishman even brought out a football and started a pickup game. Kurt's eyes lit up and he ran to join the match. The officers of each side watched like parents at a playground. Soldiers of opposing nations laughed together as a drunken German stumbled in the makeshift football match. A Saxon soldier showed a Scottish soldier a picture of his girlfriend, who gave him a universal sign of approval which transcended the language barrier. A thumbs up. Henry looked around, baffled at how men who just yesterday were firing bullets at each other were now swapping stories and getting along just fine. An English chaplain and a German minister organized a joint burial ceremony where they could clear the casualties from no man's land and finally bury the corpses that both sides had been staring at for weeks. Soldiers of the opposing armies prayed alongside each other as they buried over a hundred bodies. At the end, they recited Psalm 23 in both English and German. Through Christmas Day, the truce spread down the network of trenches with thousands of troops convening in no man's land. Impromptu football matches sprung up. Germans who knew a little bit of English or vice versa worked as interpreters. Barbers offered haircuts and accepted payment in cigarettes. Soldiers compared holiday rations and told stories from Christmas's past. They exchanged all sorts of trinkets and souvenirs and bargained for liquor, clothes, and sweets. They roasted a wild boar and shared it between the two armies. Once brutal enemies, now pouring each other drinks and lighting each other's cigarettes. In time, this war would become the deadliest in all of human history. But on that day, in that part of the front, not a single shot was fired. But all holidays, no matter how wholesome, must end, and the men had to return to their jobs. The work of war had to resume. As the light faded, each side slowly returned to their respective trenches. Henry quickly went to his journal to write to his mother. On Christmas night, he wrote, quote, Yesterday, the British and Germans met and shook hands in the ground between the trenches. We exchanged souvenirs and shook hands. Yes, all day Christmas Day, and even as I write. Marvelous, isn't it? Unquote. Later that night, the Germans even returned a drunk Frenchman who had accidentally wandered into the wrong trench after the festivities. In the German trench, Kurt wrote a letter home to his girlfriend, citing the truce in the soccer match, writing, quote, an Englishman brought a football from their trenches, and pretty soon a lively game ensued. We won 3-2. to two. 
how marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. Unquote. Most of the troops were simply dumbfounded at what had just happened, that peace could be so easy, so simple. Now, they wondered what tomorrow would bring. They wondered what tomorrow would bring. When the upper brass of both armies heard about the Christmas truce, reactions were mixed. A few thought it a good thing to give the armies a break from the bloodshed as morale was dipping dangerously low. But most were furious. Some simply refused to believe the reports. General Horace Smith Dorian, commander of the British Second Corps, immediately issued orders forbidding friendly communication with the opposing German troops. He noted how hard it was to fight a war with someone you did not hate. The Christmas truce also found an opponent and then-corporal in the Bavarian infantry, Adolf Hitler. The future Führer was quoted as saying, quote, Such things should not happen in wartime. Have you Germans no sense of honor left at all? Unquote. The higher-ups in each military made sure nothing of the sort would be likely to happen again. Any fraternization with the enemy resulted in swift punishment. The next week, both sides found themselves in vicious fighting against the men who they had played football with just days before. Kurt Zeminch aimed his rifle towards the English trenches and was ordered to fire. He couldn't bring himself to pull the trigger, but English bullets whizzed by. Next to him, his friend's helmet was shot off. Kurt pushed the thought of playing football with the Englishman aside, closed his eyes, and pulled the trigger. In the English trench, Henry was on a mortar team during the fighting. With every shell he loaded, he wondered if it would be the one that would end the life of a man he had met that Christmas day. The hope for humanity encapsulated by the Christmas truce of 1914 did not persevere. The bloodiest battles of the war had yet to be fought, and with the advent of chemical weapons, each side would eventually grow bitter towards the other. The commander of the British Second Corps was right. It was much easier to fight an enemy that you hate. There would be no large-scale Christmas truce in 1915, or for the rest of the war. But if it were up to the soldiers, that would not have been the case. A British participant in the truce, Murdoch Wood, in 1913, told British Parliament, quote, The fact that we did it made me come to the conclusion that I have held very firmly ever since, that if we had been left to ourselves, there would never have been another shot fired. Unquote. Many more shots were fired. But in 1914, before the coercion of politicians and pressure from generals, before the hope of peace was stamped out by those in power, men from both sides of a pointless war stopped fighting and enjoyed a Christmas together. And though the truce may have been a one-off in the conflict, that Christmas day reveals the chief human desire for solidarity and peace, no matter how fleeting. This episode of Historium was written and produced by me, Jake Barton, in December of 2021. Merry Christmas, everyone. Stay safe. Hug your family. Hug your friends. It's been a rough couple of years. I'm sure I speak for all of us 
when I quote Auld Lang Syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet. I'll see you in 2022. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>